This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reform. And I would say that this podcast is hosted by two very charismatic hosts in one way, but perhaps not in another way. (laughs) In one and yet not another, which you're going to find out about on today's episode. That's exciting. Pastor Michael, I'm joined by, as always, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I'm feeling good. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been a good day, I think overall, you know, Monday, it's a Monday when we're recording this and, mm-hmm. you know, Mondays are always kind of like, a, I don't know, often a downer kind of a day. There's kind of a, you know, a lot going on on Sundays, um, you know, a lot to do, a lot to think about. Uh, and then all of a sudden it just kind of usually just kind of, you know, the busyness of everything kind of dips down suddenly. Yeah. Uh, but it was, I mean, it overall it was a good day. Got to spend some time with, uh, my boys and uh, take them out and have some special daddy son time with them which was nice that's awesome today we actually have some big news even for our listeners pastor michael do you yeah here we go so here we have two things to share one thing uh today is the first episode of restless this spring and do you know what that means pastor michael this is the season finale of winsome winter the season finale. I'm glad we, I'm glad we're going to try to get this in, in winsome winter, because I think that's important. This, this is going to be a very winsome episode. We are going to kick off normal restless spring with Jesus and John Wayne week. Okay. That sounds scary. (laughs) Next week will be all Jesus and John Wayne comment content here on our feed uh, as well on our patron feed. So There is time to sign up now and get ready for that week that everyone has been waiting for. This week, though, we are doing at least one more winsome thing, a winsome thing uh, that I have been excited to do for quite some time and uh, an episode that I think, especially given the last two episodes we've done on the rise and fall of Mars Hill, I hope will be helpful to people. I will say quite honestly, when I was squarely into the YRR, this isn't this topic and the way we're going to talk about it. I very much wished I had. Yeah, I don't know that I, uh, you know, ever had it. Um, It was this was something that kind of slowly as I began to read, especially older works um, and then, you know, uh, older works as well as uh, some more modern writers like. Uh, Richard Gaffin and others. I just, you know, I just found these things that I was like, oh, I didn't know that this was uh, something that people believed. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I studied it, I, like you, um, came to understand it more and actually even uh, love it in a way. Right. So Pastor Michael, tonight, that thing we're going to discuss that you found and for me felt like a, a huge paradigm shift is cessationism. I'm just going to be uh, upfront and say the uh, optics on this conversation. I just feel like the the phrase cessationism, it's automatically like it sounds negative, right? Like it's a mm. it's a negation of something. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know, a better way maybe to uh, put these things forward. But I will say that, you know, as far as the rhetorical battle goes, we're starting we're starting downhill already. Right. And so. 
in, in that similar way, it is uh, similar to limited atonement, right? The, the point of Calvinism that nobody likes to defend or everyone likes to say, I have a different name for it, actually, that, you know, makes it, I don't use a negation in the title. Um, and so perhaps, Pastor Michael, by the end of this discussion, you will have given us our new renamed uh, I'll try to think. I'm not making yeah. any promises. I'm not making any promises at this point, at this late hour. So the reason we're talking about cessationism tonight is two reasons. One, for the last two weeks, we have discussed the episode Demon Hunting about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which very much for us, what we thought was essential were that was the discussion involved there of the charismatic practices at Mars Hill obviously specifically around deliverance ministry. Now we are going to leave the topic of deliverance ministry. That actually is not as related in the uh, reformed and theological definitions of cessationism, but it is a charismatic practice that is kind of very much uh, involved. And so one of the things you may remember if you were young, restless and reformed, like I am the YRR, was charismatic and we'll and we'll get to these terms we'll define them later right if you remember our episode if you haven't heard it i think you would really enjoy it where we walk through john piper's definitions of new calvinism that he laid out he said new calvinism includes charismatics and non-charismatics now i think we could go a bit farther than that did acts 29 which was formed out of the yrr that is a a church planting movement specifically welcoming and at the time when it was founded requiring an adherence to the continuation of the gifts john piper mark driscoll matt chandler cj mahaney uh, sam storms right we can list many now the notable quiet presbyterians weren't were not participants in this part of the yrr but this was the predominant message coming out of the yrr was one of charismaticism and i think perhaps even best described by what was the systematic theology we all used that we Grudem. Grudem. And Grudem, Grudem, one of the many revisions he makes to the traditional Reformed faith, and we would say biblical, is he argues for a version of a continuation of the gift of prophecy down to today. And now if you're a listener, um, You've already heard us admit that we already feel like we might be on taking a more negative position. And that's why we're here to do it in winsome winter. We're here to talk about these things with one more cold snap of cool, level-headed, winsome fun. Because for me, discovering that the reformed consensus and even the consensus of the church for much of church history was a form of one form or another of cessationist was a pretty huge revolution in my mind. And again, a large part of it could have been because I learned so much specifically from the YRR. That's where I learned reformed theology. So yeah. pa- pastor Michael, what do you, what do you think about this subject? Yeah, well, I do. I, I want to uh, reiterate too, and and say I think it's likely, and we've had some interactions too with people that we know listen to us and who are you know charismatic or in a more charismatic tradition, 
hey, we love you. You know, I mean, we're uh, this is uh, as we uh, walk through this, um, we're not saying this as those coming in thinking, oh, how could you ever like believe mm-hmm. something like this or anything like that? Um, both man, I uh, we've kind of mentioned it a bit, but I mean, I came uh, really, you know, of age in the faith, I guess I would say, um, as I began to take the faith more seriously, very much in a strong kind of uh, charismatic circles. Um, those who mentored me uh, the most, uh, especially early on in uh, my uh, kind of maturing faith, uh, were very strongly uh, proponents of either a pretty extreme charismaticism or what is maybe what we would call, uh, you know, the very much YRR, John Piper, Wayne Grudem, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a bit more toned down. You know, it's not quite as exciting, but hey, there is still this continuation in uh, these gifts in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, this is, I mean, these are the people that discipled me and, and very much, uh, uh, taught me. And so they, I I've been in these circles, you know, we're not, we're not coming at it, um, from some angle of, well, you know, again, uh, we are obviously so superior in, right. uh, figuring these things out or anything like that. Um, we just actually like genuinely believe this is a helpful and important thing to learn, uh, because it actually uh, helps with, uh, we believe, the maturing of the faith. And so we want to, we want you to understand and, and see what we've come to understand and see. Right. Right. For me, this required me to take a almost total 180 to come to the position I do now. Now, I was not, I was, yeah, I, I was in the YRR charismatic. I was never a Pentecostal, yeah. right, into these kinds of, of circles. But yes. And in fact, if, you disagree if you are charismatic i would actually really love to hear what you think about what we say when we kind of try and just say a few things substantially we're not going to lay this out exhaustively again my the the hope behind this episode is if i was trying to talk to me 10 years ago what starting point would have i provided this is that's all we're trying to do today this is a topic i'm i'm interested in we may we are going to do at least one further Patreon episode about this. Uh, we may do an episode where we talk about some of our own experiences, depending no, on... No, we have to. I said we were going okay. so we okay. to. We, we have to, for our we patrons, will. we need we to uh, share some of our wild, wild okay. experiences because I've got some good ones. They will be wild on both sides, I promise. But I think that it would be good for us to, to yeah, to we would love to just hear from you if this is your position, if we are... Um, saying things, whether you've heard them or not, we just want to hear your reaction. And so, Pastor Michael, I think for us to kind of read one of the YRR representatives on their attitude towards cessationism, I think we actually have to turn to an old friend to come to our help, to our aid. We're going to turn to who else but Pastor Mark Driscoll. He's the guy. Let's hear it. So he uh, as as, as true fans know, like me, he uh, was the head of a website called Resurgence, uh, which was the like cooler, edgier gospel coalition um, and a website that has been completely memory hold uh, once Mars Hill closed. The great news is because of the Wayback Machine, you can never truly you can never truly memory hold a website anymore. 
now once they get control of the way back machine i literally don't know what we're going to do <laughs> or they already do and they're already removing some of it <laughs> they could so um but this uh blog was published on the eve of mark driscoll planning to attend the strange fire Con- conference <laughs> oh man yeah we well maybe we'll talk about that sometime in that little uh Pastor Michael, <laughs> i found some of the videos from his attendance of the conference for you and i to react to another time <laughs> awesome so, so needless to say um another old friend of ours when john macarthur saw the popularity of continuationism and charismaticism on the rise he hosted a conference um trying to refute a number of charismatic claims um um called strange fire right his view that they are bringing strange fire mark driscoll took that as an opportunity to show up um and potentially be there to promote a book and so as he announced he was going to go to this conference he published a section a blog post and it's really a section of one of his books called and pastor michael i definitely want to get your reaction to the title of this blog post is the trinity father son and holy bible oh it's brutal it's gotcha. so brutal do you yeah. feel do you feel like he nailed you oh man it's it's so brutal uh because this is often a response right like you don't believe in the holy spirit you don't believe that the holy spirit is active um which is obviously just not the case um you will hear the holy spirit uh spoken about uh preached about prayed to over and over again it pretty much every service that you would come to um, at our church anyway. And I think that's uh, probably pretty similar to uh, most confessionally reformed churches. But, uh, you know, this is uh, a common retort. Um, And to give the benefit of the doubt, yeah, like, uh, are there people or, you know, could it be possible that somebody would, uh, you know, take the word of God and uh, make it kind of a cold, dead uh, thing that uh, is disconnected from the life of the spirit. Is that possible? It is possible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe he'll have something good to say. And so, I mean, he, he basically, this is from his book, A Call to Resurgence. Will Christianity have a funeral or future from 2013? I, of course, do own this book. And this is from a chapter in the book, basically on, it's called The Holy Spirit Empowering the Church for Mission. And so, the, the thrust of the chapter is that the Holy Spirit needs to empower the church for its ministry. Pastor Michael, anything problematic so far? Probably Sorry, not, I, I would guess. Right. Yeah. Right. Obviously, obviously not. Again, common prayer. Uh, you know, Holy Spirit, please empower these, like empower your people, empower our worship. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so what I think is, um, I, I mean, I do quite honestly think, I would have, I would have literally known no better, right? I literally would have thought, oh yeah, they, I guess they really don't think these things. Um, And so in this chapter, he kind of lays out some different errors of his understanding of different ways people go wrong in thinking people uh, overpower uh, the, the spirit empowers them. Right. And this is again, what we found convincing. How did Driscoll always explain himself? And I picked up this explanation as a very wise 20-year-old. I'm charismatic with a seatbelt. That was how Driscoll described himself in every setting. And I thought that was a perfect way 
for some reason. Like, 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 as I always have to admit on our show, I thought that was perfect. I had very little discernment. (laughs) But this, can we just say, like, this is um, maybe this was the kind of Wayne Grudem, uh, like, why our way of describing their view of the gifts, because they did want to distinguish themselves from the traditional charismatic and and Pentecostal uh, movement, while at the same time maintaining uh, basically uh, the same doctrine. Um, They just, they wanted to find a way to maybe make some kind of middle ground. And so um, the analogy that was always told me, and I I think that this maybe even comes from Grudem, I don't remember, uh, but was this idea of of like a sandbox. And I can't remember the exact details, uh, but it's like, you know, uh, you, you, uh, you don't want the, the sand, which is like the, you know, the using of these gifts and stuff out of the sandbox. It has to be done within the, you know, confines of the sandbox, but also you don't want to cover it up, right? You want to be in there actually like playing in the sandbox, which now that I'm even saying it, I'm like, man, that's a bad, that's a bad yeah. analogy, but I'm pretty sure that that is like a, a fairly common uh, analogy that I've seen. Matt Chandler's analogy was always that reformed churches have fireplaces and no fire. Charismatics have fire and they're burning their house down because it's not in the fireplace. We need to take the fire, put it in the fireplace, then we can enjoy the fire and it can do what it was intended to do. So as you might guess, this book points out, right? The, the different things he, he thinks that, you know, your tribe or your group might get right and things they miss, right? So the cessationist tribe, the functional trinity is sometimes the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures through human offer, and then he went on vacation. In the Pentecostal <laughs> church, I mean- This all, is just classic Driscoll, I love How it. many of these do you want? Because they're all pretty funny. They're I all bet they're all pretty than, good. Let's keep going. They're all going. funnier than his uh, current <laughs> preaching style. Um, uh, in the Pentecostal church, you know, if you have the Holy spirit, if you speak in tongues, the primary evidence to end up at Pentecostals that a believer has the spirit. Oh, that's not interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, it, here's a good one in the fundamentalist tribes. The, the Holy spirit has too many, who has two primary ministries to write the Bible and convict of sin. Basically you're the nail, the Bible's the hammer and the spirit's job is to pound you. Um, Right. And then he talks about charismatic churches. The fruit of the spirit might be emphasized in missional churches, the spirit finding your place in the church's ministry is emphasized. Right. And so what he's saying is look at all these people, they have all these methods, but they're all not bringing these things together. But I just want to uh, read this because obviously the primary reason he posted this blog when he did was to post a section where he's now he's critical of all these views, right? So I'm, you know, he's not only going after a cessationist point of view, but that was the primary reason he posted. So I'm just going to read the last two paragraphs from this uh, blog post where he kind of kind of comes to his point. So in reformed churches, you won't hear a lot about the spirit as they tend to attribute much of his work to the gospel and the sovereignty of God. So when lives are changed, the explanation is that what happened was because of the gospel without much of the spirit's application of it. And when God works out circumstances to a favorable end, Calvinists are prone to attribute it to the work of God's sovereignty. Continuationists are prone to attribute it to the work of God's spirit. Often it's a little more than a matter of semantics because the spirit is the sovereign God. Sadly, much of the debate and division among the tribes in regards to the, Um, 
per, there is much debate and division among tribes in regards to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I am firmly convinced that if Christianity is to have a future instead of a funeral, the various tribes must strive to obey Ephesians 4.3, where Paul commands us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The remainder of this chapter is dedicated to that end, our unity in the Spirit, which re requires agreement about the, the Spirit, right? And so he's going to lay out this, this view. And so, Pastor Michael, his criticism is that the Reformed churches don't have an emphasis on the application of the Spirit, of the, but it's of the gospel or God being sovereign, right? This is kind of, this is, and this is, as we've already mentioned, this is a lot of what you heard from the YR. I just wanted to take one example, right? I and I didn't want to take Wayne Grudem's entire long argument, but I do think the actual intellectual weight came from theology like Wayne Grudem. Do you want to comment a little bit on his, like, kind of hit the, what his, what he brought to this larger movement? So he wrote his uh, PhD dissertation on the gift of prophecy. Um, Grudem is somebody who uh, I've spent some more time studying his view in the past. It's been a while. I mean, it's been, it's been a good, good while since I did this, uh, but I did interact with him a lot at one point um, in his view, specifically on the gift of prophecy and a little bit more generally. Uh, but he, he wrote his dissertation because he was uh, very much kind of influenced by some more like historic reformed um, or at least modern reform type thinkers. Um, while at the same time being discipled in uh, mostly like a vineyard type church, like uh, the vineyard mm -hmm. movement, um, which, you know, John Wimber and others. Um, so like that was kind of his, he was trying to bring these things together. And so in his, uh, in his dissertation, uh, which was then published as a book, and I, I can't even remember, <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the book now, you're gonna have to look it up while I'm talking about it. Uh, but uh, he writes about the gift of prophecy, and he uh, you know, argues that basically uh, a new way of understanding the gift of prophecy. And I think that this becomes kind of a, a way that much of the, the charismatic gifts are begin to be looked at um, in the kind of YRR circles is it's kind of, it's like a third way, right? It's, it's, Hey, um, we uh, want to bring a new view of what exactly these gifts are, how they are to be used, how they're to be implemented in the church. Uh, and so he does it specifically with prophecy, but, um, you know, does, I think, provide basically a framework uh, for somebody in the modern church who wants to hold a little bit more of, uh, you know, historic, uh, you know, whether it be uh, aspects of things like Calvinism or, or other things like that. They want to hold some of that while at the same time adding in then uh, this, this more modern view of the gifts of the spirit and, and their continuation. So, um, you know, he, he really becomes, I think, basically the primary, uh, primary theological backing for a lot of this going forward. The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament and Today by Wayne Grudem. There's your I thought well, I had a catchier name, but yeah, uh, I was, I'm sure was he's wrong. written a more popularized version of it. Yeah. And so I think that the, the popular view today in evangelicalism, the consensus view, again, Pastor Michael, you and I are about to take another dissenting view is some, we might call it this Wayne Grudem, this soft form of continuationism. And 
and again, this is a, is a historically notable thing that Wayne Grudem um, and others were able to accomplish because when the act, when the original Pentecostal renewals began, the evangelicals very much did, were not going to participate in it, right? Most of the large Christian uh, churches, even the interdenominational associations, um, Campus Crusade from back then, uh, the Southern Baptist Commission and their missions board, I mean, they prohibited participation in these kinds of events. And now, obviously, that would be unheard of now, right? Um, you know, it was big news recently when the Southern Baptist uh, International Mission Board began allowing the practicing of tongues by its missionaries. Because this is such, this is just since the Jesus people, since these things, right? And then kind of this theological weight of Wayne Grudem, it has just become a pretty consensus view. Even if there's not a active practice, an acceptance of it is pretty much the norm now. Yeah. And I would say that's, you know, um, although I said, you know, I very much uh, uh, grew in my faith around circles that were, I would say, in the further charismatic side of things. Um, yeah, the church uh, that I grew up in, the, you know, kind of evangelical world that I grew up in, I wouldn't say, you know, there was never a strong practice of any kind of charismatic gifts. I don't know that it was ever brought up. I think there were probably some people that were, you know, just naturally more like they would lean toward a cessationism, but, uh, but, you know, a lot of them would just say, yeah, like who, basically who am I to say, you right. know, whether or not God is working in this way. So it was more, you know, it was more just the, the kind of typical evangelical line of, Hey, I can't, like, I can't make a judgment on this. Um, I'll just, you know, I'll trust that person to do that. And I'm not going to maybe do it, but uh, that doesn't mean that it's, you know, completely wrong. And again, because of the, like, taking the position of the negative i do believe that is another reason in the evangelical world this position was more acceptable and so i actually think it might be helpful when i talk about charismatics i actually don't i don't use one term for everyone i have been but i actually think kind of understanding the different language that is available to us is actually half uh is very pretty helpful and so i think we can use pretty three pretty broad categories but are actually pretty distinguishable. And so let me start um, from maybe the most classical one. And we'll kind of come, we'll come back towards where the YRR was that we've been talking about. So we start with Pentecostals. Now this are, these are doctrinally uh, in their practice, in their statements of faith, like this would be the assemblies of God. Um, this would be a lot of these uh, charismatic renewal, the IHOP, you know, these are different kinds but these are all Pentecostal in that they accept specific Pentecostal teachings, like you have to have spoken in tongues to be considered with the filling of the Holy Spirit. They believe that there is a second spirit baptism after conversion that is wit that is um, authenticated by speaking in tongues, right? And so they obviously also have a huge emphasis on miraculous, the miraculous. Um, prophecies in in their life of their church right and and again this is the most recognizable yeah and can we say also has just the longest like pedigree um, yep. and so i mean this goes back to the early 1900s um and uh movements and, shows, and you know like we could say goes back further and uh you know and they might uh, want to say that um the right, modern and form. elements that like connect others the modern form really has its roots in the early 1900s um and stayed pretty you know fairly consistent right doctrinally right these certain beliefs about what 
um, the gifts look like. And I want to say too, um, especially Pentecostals early on, um, what you see is kind of like uh, changes again in kind of the 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 moves of these things. But um, for a, a long time, um, the focus of uh, the Pentecostal churches was specifically with things like spirit baptism and speaking in tones. Mm-hmm. Um, the gift of prophecy uh, doesn't actually uh, enter into being a common practice and something that is commonly uh, used until actually much more into the 60s, 70s, and some of the charismatic renewals that begin happening at these times. And this is when, by the way, you know, then, you know, not not long after is when all of a sudden you get somebody like a Wayne Grudem who then is brought up in these kinds of traditions and then wants to find, hey, we need a theological backing for this because there really is not one yet. And it would be, and again, we there are different waves of charismatics um, that again, our listeners might be aware of, and that actually Pastor Michael is referencing. And so one these further developments, I believe there's another group I describe as a person who's, this is where the language I'm using maybe becomes a bit more distinct. I use a term for a charismatic. Now, this is not a person who necessarily accepts all the claims of Pentecostalism, because many people who practice the gifts think it's actually a little problematic that they claim everyone has to speak in tongues. They don't see that in the New Testament, which I certainly don't. They see issues with these kinds of, uh, as, as Mark Driscoll saw an issue with it, right? He called it the JV and the varsity Christians, right? He thought that was a pretty bad way to talk about this. But a charismatic is a person who is still on some level participating in charismatic gifts and practices. So maybe I'm talking about Maybe they have a private prayer language. They believe in in forms of they right. These are common people who believe they receive words from the Lord. Right. This is a common way to speak. Um, you know, they believe in the continuation of miracles. Maybe it's not all the time, but they they would say that it is something in in their experience. And right. So this is a this is a person who may not be a Pentecostal, but at least shares experientially what the the Pentecostals might be saying in some form. And then the third group, and maybe this is what will be helpful, is differentiating from the third group. This is the group I call continuationists. So in all reality, charismatic continuationists on a like strict definitional level actually aren't different, that they could be considered the same thing. Continuationist simply means a continuation of all the gifts described in the New Testament. I use continuationists because when I came across it in the YRR, these were people defending charismatic practices who I saw no evidence of that playing a real big role in their life, maybe other than kind of a one-off thing in some particular moment. So these were the people, perhaps like Wayne Grudem, though I don't know if what his actual practice is like, defending charismatic practices, saying we can't throw these out, but... You know, I know there are lots of abuses and and tongues does not seem to play a large role in their ministry. Yeah, maybe uh, like a John Piper, right? So you have John Piper talking about the gift of tongues and maybe even trying to practice it and like things like this and talking about how these things continue. And yet, I mean, if you went to, uh, you know, a church service at Bethlehem Baptist, you're like, there's not going to be a lot of this stuff going right. on. You know, there, you're not going to have a lot of the kind of traditional uh things you would expect in a charismatic worship service. And what I learned as I started to become exposed to the historic reform tradition was that 
basically all of these were out of step with the the Protest, early Protestants in the church before. Let me just read one section from the first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so this is about scripture. Um, it pleased God at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and declare his will unto his church. And afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for a more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit that holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scriptures most necessary and those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. So we actually get this, one of this, the main terms for cessationism from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm -hmm. It is making a comparison over a time where diverse and sundry, right? So different ways in different portions, God revealed himself. Whereas now those, those manifestations have now ceased. And that is um, a very, one very basic way to speak about what cessationism is. So let's um, perhaps, Pastor Michael, I should promote my winsome argument for cessationism before yeah, we let's uh, hear it before we give maybe a little biblical backing and before we uh, get ready to leave i think the the winsome way to put it is to tell everyone in our listening audience i think everyone and if this doesn't include you i'm actually a little concerned i think everyone listening to my voice no matter who they are is a cessationist you are already a cessationist today. It's true. He's not wrong. I, I'm, I'm glad. And, and what I mean is, I don't mean you necessarily even accept the statement in the Westminster Confession of Faith. What I mean is you believe today there are things that God, the Holy Spirit, no longer does that he has done in history. For example, I would be willing to bet that virtually everyone in, within the sound of my voice, if they're, a, if they're an Orthodox Christian, believes there can be, and there, or not that the Spirit does not have the ability, but there will not be any more inspired documents written to be added to the, to the Holy Scriptures. I would guess maybe a tiny minority, but I doubt, doubt anyone listening, believes there will be any more apostles today. So what I have just done is I have just listed things you believe the Holy Spirit has ceased to do. Now, what's even more notable, and Pastor Michael, I'd like to get you on this before we go to just a, a one, one verse to work through, is even Wayne Grudem's definition yes. of prophecy is a form of cessationism. Yeah, I was going to bring this up. So um, yeah. actually, if you believe in uh, any kind of, you know, typical modern continuationist view of the gift of prophecy, um, you also do believe that a particular uh, kind of prophecy has ceased. So uh, Wayne Grudem's whole argument is basically that the gift of prophecy in the church in the New Testament um, is uh, basically completely different than prophecy that had come before. Um, so whereas prophecy that had come before in the Old Testament, and maybe even still in some ways through the apostles, I don't remember exactly how he, how he works this out. 
Um, but uh, in the New Testament, meaning, you know, not still today, but still in the New Testament era in the apostles, that this gift of prophecy before was the ability to speak the very words of God, right? You, when you spoke, you were like, God was speaking through you. Um, it, it was still maybe your words, but it was God speaking. It was as authoritative as God himself speaking on Mount Sinai. This is the same thing. Um, so this is kind of the like typical, you know. Uh, and that's uh, problematic if you believe that's Wayne Grudem recognized the problem of that happening. Yes, of that right. Continuing today. That's right. He he knows that if that continued today, we have the problem that like we don't have the scripture, right? We right. we don't have like it's everybody can all of a sudden uh, say that they're speaking for God, and all of a sudden we have the scripture. What he argues, and he he admits that what he's arguing is completely new, right? Like it's mm-hmm. this is not a view that has ever been held before in the history of the church. It is novel. He literally, I believe, uses the word novel to describe his view of this. But he believes that the gift of prophecy in the New Testament is rather a kind of fallible gift where the Holy Spirit, you know, gives somebody in their mind um, an idea or a word or a thought. And then when they speak it, it can be muddled by their, you know, sinfulness, by by the fact that they might mistake things. Um, it can it can be. So in other words, it, it does not result in the infallible word of God being spoken. Rather, it results in the fallible word of man, but is still from God in some way. And I'm mm-hmm. going to be honest. I mean, I've read his whole book. Uh, I, I, it's He does not fully flesh this out, right? I mean, he, mm-hmm. because you really can't, right? Um, he, but most of his argument relies upon some very... Um, some very uh, small evidence uh, based around the prophet Agabus in the book of Acts and specific wordings about Agabus as he prophesies that Paul is going to be um, arrested and how he's going to be arrested. And then when the account actually takes place, uh, he basically argues that, so it, you know, it says that the, he's going to be arrested by the Jews or something. I, I don't remember the exact details of the story of Agabus, uh, but then Wayne Grudem says, but then when it happens, it's the Romans who are arresting him or, or he's going to be handed over to the Jews. Maybe it's the way it's put or something like that. But then the Romans arrest him. And so he says, look, this was a prophecy, uh, but it like it, it was not the infallible word of God because it was slightly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this is, you know, right. I mean, we, this is a way that the Bible talks all the time. So we, yeah. you know, it's, we could it's engage, not a good argument. If, <laughs> if there is interest in us engaging with Wayne Grudem's presentation, yeah, I, I wrote a whole be, paper on it, so right. I, would, it, it, I would love it, to pull that out. It wouldn't be that difficult. But what Pastor Michael is clearly presenting is that at least on some level, Wayne Grudem is saying infallible words of prophecy have ceased. Yes, right. The gift of prophecy as it was at least before the New Testament and maybe even at the beginning of the New Testament era with the apostles, that has ceased. That is right. no longer. That. We could say that that at that gift ceased with the apostles because they yep. produced infallible scripture, but yep. there were it, there were fallible prophets. And so, you are already a cessationist, my friend. And now the only question. Welcome, it, hey, I know we're so we happy. You guys, yeah. The only question. Let's all hold hands and. <laughs> that's right. The only question is, to what degree at this point? What is what is a consistent way of putting this? And, and there are, and that leaves a lot of questions and I get it. And that's, and, and maybe you feel like I didn't prove anything, but what I'm saying is that everyone has this to some point and has to. Um, but I think that the reform tradition of 
specifically revelatory gifts and gifts associated with the signs of the apostles, right? Paul says, I work the signs of an apostle among you. Well, if the apostles have ceased, then the signs of an apostle <laughs> ceased because ceased we don't have them. apostles. Yeah. Um, but I just want us to work through actually one passage, a passage nearby where Mark Driscoll took us to show us that we all had to agree on the spirit for unity. And I, too, having shown you in this winsome episode, our call for unity, uh, would like to, to do a similar thing before we leave. And so I'm, uh, there's, an, there's a verse in this that if you're familiar with these discussions, you'll know, you'll know exactly what we're going to talk about. But I actually think we're going to read a little bit before and after. So I'm going to start in second, uh, not second, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2.18. And so this is the section where Paul is uh, both, you know, made this, the de- declarations by faith, you've been saved um, through grace. Um, so no one can boast. And then he's talking about the, the revelation of how there would be one, one man of Jews and Gentiles in Christ. And so I'm going to start here in 18, where he's, he's explaining this more. He says, for through him, Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the father, right? So Driscoll is right. The, the access we have to the father is unified because it's of the same spirit. If we are united, it is in the spirit. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, right? So there is, what is the representation of our unity? That we are in the household of God. And this is, again, these, this next one is very important. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, uh, grows together into a temp- a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what's so important about these things? There's two things. And then, Pastor Michael, I'd like to hear your thoughts. This teaches there is a foundational role when, of the apostles, prophets, and then even more unique than them, soul. Uh, completely unique, com- completely irrepeatable. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. But once you've laid the foundation to continue building a temple or a household, you don't lay the foundation again. The foundation is something that is deposited. It is laid. You dig the basement, you pour the foundation, and you begin to build. And what does this verse say is happening? It says the Spirit is now building us together into that temple on that foundation. And this is in this way, a, I hope a somewhat eye-opening text for people to hear this, the found we, when we say we are cessationists, we are saying the prophets and the apostles had a foundational role in the church. And that was the spirit's work at its foundation. He continues to work together powerfully. He's got a lot more building to do, but it's not the same foundational work again. Yeah, so there's a difference um, once that foundation has been laid, once God has worked in this particular way, um, things do change um, the way he works. And you see that even in uh, the New Testament itself, right? So later books um, that Paul writes, uh, when you think of the pastoral epistles that he writes right near 
when he is going to be executed first in second Timothy and Titus. Uh, he doesn't speak a lot about uh, these gifts and how they're to be practiced in the church and, and the way they're to be used or anything like that. Um, rather, he encourages very specific things that we still do today, right? The, the uh, appointing of elders and deacons and what those elders and deacons are supposed to be like and the preaching of the word of God. Uh, this is, these are things that continue. Uh, these are things that, uh, that are going on today. Uh, Paul was helping to establish those things that are going to carry on um, after that uh, initial generation, after that initial uh, work of the spirit of God to lay that foundation. Pastor Michael, those things don't feel very spiritual or extraordinary to me. Yeah, this is so, you know, this is, uh, I don't know, it, it could be in part just the the disenchantment. Uh, I know it's a popular word right now, but it could just be the disenchantment of our modern age, like being this side of kind of enlightenment rationalism. We do live in a world, and this is something that was brought up in that Mars Hill episode that we listened to. Uh, like, there are a lot of people that, like, there's this longing for something deep and spiritual, for something, some kind of transcendent experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, uh, I think, a desire that makes sense because we live in a supernatural world, right? We live in a world made by, made by a transcendent God um, who is outside of it. Um, we live in a world where uh, there are many uh, things outside of just the, the physical material uh, around us. Um, and so when you try to suppress those things and say, none of these things exist, there's nothing going on. There is no a spirit of God. We are nothing but, you know, physical, uh, physical beings with minds that are just these physical chemical processes. And when you do that and push people in that direction, I think that uh, there is naturally going to be this, this desire for more. But I think what happens then is uh, we seek uh, things that we think are going to be like the real deal, right? So we, mm-hmm. we are uh, experientialists. We want the experience. We want, we want something uh, that uh, is exciting because we think in that we will actually find what is real. Um, and I think that too is just a kind of overreaction to uh, the times that we live in. It's, it's reactionary against. Uh, but actually, when you even just read the scriptures, uh, the the many uh, extremely miraculous things that happen in the scripture are actually pretty few and far between. Uh, they're not actually the, the norm, shall we say. Um, God speaking to his people uh, in some way is normal, right? Like that happened, like God speaks to his people. Um, sometimes he does it through writing, right? Like through okay. something that has been written down. He does it through the law. He does it in various ways. Uh, once it's been given. Right. Uh, but uh, so like that, that may be normal, but when we think of like, what are the like major exciting experiential things that happen in the Bible? Well, there are kind of these pockets of kind of, you know, these almost like just explosions of these exciting, miraculous events that happen. And they happen around very particular points in the history of God's people. Right. So you think they, they happen around the time of the Exodus, Right. They happen around the, the, the forming of the national Israel as they're brought out of Egypt in this picture of what is to come in a much greater way in Christ. Right. This this is uh, one of the places you see it. You see a lot of kind of these miraculous events uh, show forth in the time of Elijah and Elisha. And then you see a lot happening, you know, uh, big in the New Testament as Christ comes on the scene and then uh, with the apostles. And so you have these kind of like scattered 
moments throughout the scripture, throughout the narrative of scripture of these just really, yeah, like what seemed to be like just these really pretty like wild events uh, and wild things that happen. Uh, but they're actually not the norm throughout the history of God's people. The norm is actually the steady, consistent obedience to what has been passed down uh, from those who have gone before. That's actually far more normative in the history of God's people, even within the text of scripture itself. Yeah. And this often leads people, even when we talk about these things, even if people go, okay, I kind of get what you're saying. It leads people to this concern where people say, uh, they say, well, what you're describing leads to a, a church that's impoverished. The church said we need the, the Bible says we need these gifts. And you guys are saying it's not normal. We don't have them, right? Even if, even if what you're saying is true, then, you know, we hear things like the new covenant is better, right? This is another one of the uh, favorite places to bring that up. And what my point is, is saying that the, this is, I'm actually saying the gifts of the Holy Spirit are way more powerful than you probably have ever imagined. And they were more powerful than I imagined. For example, I'm in a house right now. The foundation of the house didn't take a vacation. The foundation of the house is still doing work today, right? The prophecies given by the, the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, the prophecies given by Paul um, and Peter, the evangelists who wrote the gospels, those prophecies are so powerful. They are transforming your life and my life. And the miracles that Christ did to attest his divinity are still powerfully doing that today. And so the point is that we're not without those things. It's just that the Holy Spirit doesn't have to give all the same gifts at all the same times in human history. He has a sovereign purpose in giving them when he pleased, for the reason he pleased, for the goal he has in glorifying Christ and accomplishing his purposes on the earth. Yeah. Yeah. I was really struck by this uh, when I actually, so I, I should say like I became a, a cessationist in large part interacting with the arguments of Wayne Grudem um, in a more detailed way. Uh, this was uh, something I did as I was uh, working on uh, kind of my, my thesis in uh, my undergraduate, although I don't really have an undergraduate degree, um, but it like for what I had to do, I had to uh, kind of present a, a thesis and I, I chose to do it on the gift of prophecy in mm. scripture. And this led me to interacting with Wayne Grudem. And I came out the other end, I started as basically, I have to be at least, you know, uh, partially a continuation. It's like, I, I, I maybe was a bit more, uh, a bit more, uh, stand backish at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. I just, I knew, I, I felt that there was something wrong in how I had understood these things, but I just didn't know what to believe. By the time I got to the end of the paper, I, I basically had convinced myself that if I want to follow what the scripture teaches, I have to become a cessationist, but I was still ambivalent about that. I didn't, I didn't really like that. Right. A lot of the circles I was in, it was like, that was not a good thing. That was a, like, this was not something that I felt really good about. Um, mm. but I, felt that I was constrained by the scripture. And I remember being asked when I presented this thesis uh, before a group of peers and uh, professors. And one of the professors even said, you seem really kind of like, I don't know, like almost not, not, not happy, but almost not happy about your conclusion. And I was like, kind of, yeah, I'd like, I feel a little bit ambivalent, but then somebody asked, well, 
like, how does this work then with the body of Christ? If the body of Christ, as Paul speaks about it in First Corinthians, um, really, like, it needs all of these gifts of the Spirit, right? We, we need all of these different gifts in the, in the context of speaking to the Corinthians about the, these different gifts of the Spirit and how better to use the gift of tongues and gift of prophecy and things like this. Uh, Paul says, like, in the body of Christ, not all people do the same things, but we, we need all of these things, right? Every, everybody uh, plays this kind of uh, role within the body. And just standing there, I just had kind of the realization that, you know, like the body of Christ is not just today. Mm. Like the body of Christ actually extends uh, back through history to the apostles, right? To our brothers and sisters in the faith that have gone before us uh, in many different ways, have laid the groundwork for us in many different ways. Um, we are part of a body of Christ that is far larger than I had even realized up until that point. Um, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but I think this is just maybe another way to look at what exactly what you're saying, um, that this does not mean that we are cutting off the work of the spirit. And we believe that the spirit is still active today. He's just active in a different way than he was at that time. And this is something that we believe he has revealed himself in his word that he is revealing right now in his word, as we read the word of God that the Holy Spirit is revealing these things to us, teaching us these things, sharing these things with us. Well, thanks for joining us on the concluding episode of Win Some Winter. Pastor Michael, it's been winsome. It's been, you know, it's been nice. Uh, I don't know uh, how winsome it always was. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but we, we tried. tried. We really tried. We came, I mean, we saw, and we tried our pretty hardest, everybody. So rate and review this show. And join us on the Patreon Purely Presbyterian episode tomorrow, where we talk about dealing with the Montanists in your life. Pastor Michael will find out what that means now that winsome winter's over. So if you would like to hear more about that, sign up for Patreon. We love you all. See ya. One more thing we almost forgot, uh, which is crazy because this is exciting news. Uh, there is now a Restless Store. Uh, there's a whole Restless website. The RestlessPodcast.com is live. You can go there right now. There's all kinds of merch that you can buy. Um, this is this is the time to go and finally get yourself a Restless shirt. Brilliant promotion, putting putting this at the last 30 seconds the of la- 45 the, minute the last moment. episode. Hey, some of the shirt ideas that we've talked about on the show, they're up live. You can buy them right now. You can get a mug. You can get socks. You can get stickers. You can get all kinds of stuff. So this is a way that if you don't want to join the Patreon and hear all the fun stuff that we get to talk about uh, behind the paywall, hey, you can still support the show or even not think of it as supporting the show, but just getting yourself some really cool merchandise.